You are listening to audio from The Creek Church. If you would like more information about The Creek, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Thanks for all your success on the Halloween night, uh, getting to know your neighbors and uh, meeting some people. I hope you met neighbors you never knew. And so all the houses that Heather and I were able to make it to, you had good candy. So good job. Um, uh, so yeah, I got me some Snickers bar, Kit Kats, and uh, all the good stuff. And uh, so it was awesome. But one of the things that I do appreciate about our church community is that, that we're willing to do things like that. So thank you for that. Um, that results in life change. And so you build relationships, you build connections. And so that's how we build this thing, right? That's how we build the kingdom. That's what Jesus told us to do. And every week we're seeing salvations and rededications. And next week we get to celebrate that through baptism. And I'm excited about that. That is a, a special weekend. And so if you haven't been baptized and and that's your next step of obedience, then get signed up. See us at the Welcome Center. We'll get you taken care of, and there's uh, some information we want you to know and work through. And uh, I just love that God's doing amazing things around here. We hope uh, that, that we're in the, you know, still in that four- to six-week window, but we hope it's in the more four-week window for our new construction phase. And so we, we hope to have that open in the next probably four or five weeks, um, four to six weeks. I don't know. It just fits, right? Uh, but uh, we're trying to be able to get some things um, ironed out, so keep praying for weather, and I uh, can't wait to open that. I was walking around it last night just in, in awe, in, uh, in awe of what we get to do and what we get to see and what we get to be a part of around here at the creek, so thank you for that. Uh, if you got your Bible, go to Luke chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, we keep some on the back tables for you, and uh, if you don't own one, then that's our gift to you. Uh, happy Sunday. Happy uh, fallback day. I got my extra hour of sleep last night. And anybody else? You good? You feeling rested? Boom, yeah. How many of you play the game like I'm going to bed at normal time, which I'll get an extra hour anyway? Some of y'all play that game? Yeah, I didn't. Um, I, I, I fell asleep on the couch, but, you know, still got that extra hour, so I'm feeling good. I got more energy today. I'm kind of just, yeah, feeling good. It's a good day. Loving the weather, loving that uh, we're going into fall. Christmas will be here before we know it, so uh, start doing your shopping, all that good stuff. Actually, wait to do your shopping. I heard an article or heard a news story this week that um, people who start their Christmas shopping early spend on average $350 more. So if you're going to start shopping early, let me give you my list, okay? Uh, and then we'll go from there. So Luke chapter 20. Uh, we're in the series Out of the Box, and this is where Jesus is really, he, it's the last week before he goes to the cross. We started this series with him riding in Jerusalem, into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And this begins the last week before his crucifixion and his resurrection. And there's a lot happening. Um, and and, and there's, there's a lot of conversations he's having. There's just some, these weird, seemingly weird interactions that are coming up. And today in Luke 20, Jesus gets asked a question about life, death, and a woman. And um, he's going to just take the whole thing out of the box, really. And so uh, he gets approached by a group of people called the Sadducees. And in verse 27 says this, there came to him some Sadducees, those who deny there is a resurrection. They ask him a question saying, teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There's a lot to unpack in this passage today. So let me, let's, let's start out, we'll just take this in small pieces because this is sounding awkward. I mean, this is, this is a tough passage to teach. And uh, this is much better reserved for a small group format where we can sit and discuss, um, so bear with me. 
But the Sadducees, to set this up, are a group of, of religious ruling parties. So you, in, the, in the temple, you've got the Sadducees, you've got the Pharisees. They are in competition with each other. There's not a lot of, uh, of connection they have where they're on the same page. The Sadducees are very wealthy, very powerful. Most, uh, the, most of the average Jews in, Israel, or in uh, Rome did not like the Sadducees because they would partner with Rome for this power and this wealth. And so you've got this this weird situation where those that should be leading the nation spiritually are in connection with the ones and the government that's actually oppressing them. So there was not a lot of uh, uh, trust and a lot, not a lot of like there. And so uh, the Sadducees built their philosophy, their doctrine, their platform off of this, that there is no resurrection. The only scripture that they held were the first five books of the Bible. The Torah, or the book of the law, was written by Moses. They looked at Moses as the authority on how they should govern their life, how how the nation of Israel should be governed. And so that's where they built all of this. They come to Jesus and they ask this question based on a law out of the Mosaic law in Deuteronomy chapter 25. That law basically, uh, when you break it down, says this, that if, a, if a, a man dies and there has not been a son given, then a brother of that man needs to take that widow in to be his wife to raise up children so that the man's line can go on, so that his name and his family name will not be blotted out of Israel. And so God gave this law through Moses for the continuation, for the population, and for, for the, the family lines to continue in the nation of Israel. Now, these, these, these Sadducees come to Jesus, and they do not believe in the resurrection. They don't believe in angels. They don't believe in spirits. They don't believe in life after death. And they build all of this doctrine um, from the first five books of the Bible, which Jesus is actually going to break that down in a little bit. So they ask Jesus this question. They set it up in this way. Here's the law, Jesus. Jesus knows the law. Now, there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children. And the second and the third took her. And likewise, all seven left no children and died. Afterward, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For seven had her at his wife. So if I'm brother number four or five, I'm going to be like, okay, no, you ain't getting close to me, woman. You've already killed four or five of my brothers. I'm not bringing you into my house. I do not have a life insurance policy. You know, that's probably where the words prenup came involved, right? No, 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 no. You know, you've got a bad pattern here with men. So that's, that's why this passage does kind of sound like a country song, really, you know. Um, thought about naming this, you know, um, questions about life, death, and women. And uh, I don't know, it just didn't fit. But... Um, they ask Jesus this question because they want to get him in a corner. They want to trap him. Okay, so this is what the law says now in the resurrection. Who gets the woman? And what Jesus does, he just goes outside of this. He goes outside of the box. He's going he's to teach them. But the, the Sadducees are coming to him. They already have a bent. They already have an angle on the question they're asking Jesus. They want to trap him. They want to get in, involved with, with some discussion because they want to show him that the resurrection idea doesn't make sense, especially when you put it in context of this because they've got a perspective. The Sadducees were skeptics. 
And, and skeptics will do this. They, well, we, we all have been skeptics at some time. Some of us are skeptics now. But we try to fit God into our way of thinking. And so the Sadducees come to Jesus and they, they pose this question because they want to fit Jesus into their way of thinking. I mean, he's the one that they're saying he's the Messiah. If he's the son of God, then he's going to have this answer. And we want to know what he thinks about this resurrection idea. And Jesus just steps outside of this because, because God sees, Jesus is fully God. God sees things from a different perspective. When Isaiah was, was complaining to God in chapter 55, God responded to him. He says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. As far as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts above yours, Isaiah. So I, I think at a different level. I process at a different level. You know, it's kind of like you wonder why kids would love to go to Disneyland or Disney World. Because think about it from their perspective. I mean, if you got a kid that's this tall and you spend all that time in Disney doing what? Standing in lines, right? Their whole experience of Disney is a lot of rear ends and lines, right? <laughs> and you wonder why these kids like it. We see it from a different perspective. Now, now if you're, now, the, the Disney cynics, I mean, just, just sit still for a minute. It's a magical place, right? When you walk in, the smells, the food, it's the happy place, right? But for us parents, we see it as a different perspective. It's an expensive place. We're like, I need you. God, I need the cattle on a thousand hills, man, to be able to get the entrance fee into this place. But it's, it's an interesting thing about perspective. I mean, kids see things from a different perspective, we see things. And so what we ask God to do is not come down to my perspective and fit into my way of thinking. We want God to transform our mind. We want God to pick us up and put us on his shoulder so we can see at his level. I mean, how, how, how cheap is my faith and how shallow is my faith that I want God to come down and figure out things in my level and I want to fit him into my box. There's no faith in that. I want to see from his point of view. I already wrestle with my own. Let me see something that's greater than my own. Let me see something that's bigger than what I got. I don't want to just see the trees. I want to see the whole landscape. And when we come to Christ, when we bring our questions to Christ, it's okay to do that, by the way. Doubt is something we're all going to wrestle with. If you've never doubted or wrestled your, with, your, with your faith, then I would challenge you to really check the foundation of your faith. Because if, faith, if you can't test your faith, you can't trust it. And so I, I, I think questions are good. I go through times of doubt. I go through times where I'm, I'm a little bit cynical, where I'm a little bit skeptical. I don't think I'm alone in that. God's big enough to handle our questions. See, see, a lot of times we think that Christianity is behavioral modification and mind control. And it is not. Christianity is not something where you check your brain at the door and just go, I wonder what we're going to believe today. God created us. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. He created us with this body. He created us with a mind and an intellect. He created us with a soul that is eternal and he wants us to use our whole being. He said, I've created you with this mind, with this intellect. I want you to use it. Don't check it at the door. 
But what he does want us to do with our mind, our will, our emotions, our body, every part of our being is to submit it to him. Submit it to the only one that's going to allow us to see or experience a different perspective than our own, which is broken and skewed and small. And when we ask these questions, be careful. Check your intentions when you're asking the questions because a lot of times we ask questions, whether it's with God or a relationship in our workplace, are we asking questions to justify our own point of view? Or are we asking questions to bring revelation? There's a difference. It's an issue of intention and motive and heart when I ask these questions. There are times that I really, I, I really wrestle with my faith and I need, I need this solid foundation that only comes from the word of God, that only comes from the power of God, that only comes from the truth, something that's bigger than myself to be able to open myself, open my eyes to revelation. And I want revelation. I just don't want answers. When I, when I get answers, what it does, it sparks more questions. When I get revelation, it sparks me to love because I see my Savior in a different way. I see God's bigness. I see his creativity. I see all of this in a much different way because he's allowing me to see something from his perspective. And when we ask Jesus these questions, he, he longs to engage with us. God doesn't like to play hide and go seek with us. God doesn't sit in heaven and go, well, how hard can I make it on that today? Like, I, I really want to really kind of hide this part of my character so he'll really struggle with this. That's not God's heart towards us. He's a perfect father. He longs to reveal all of who he is in this open relationship with us. And when we have questions, he says, ask. Believe, don't doubt. Ask me for it. You want wisdom, ask for it. If you got questions, ask me. I'm the one to ask. And Jesus will engage with us. But when he engages with us, when he answers our questions, he's gonna answer from the truth of scripture and his power to bring us to revelation. Because he just doesn't want us to give, have answers. Now Jesus knows this is, a, this is a deep theological question. This is a big issue. He knows the heart of this, these, these ruling guys of the, the temple, these Sadducees. He knows their beliefs. He knows they don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe in the angels. And he knows that they've got a little bit of a a skewed way of thinking. And so Jesus begins to respond. This account also happens in the gospel of Matthew. And I really like how, how Matthew records the beginning of this response. In chapter 22, verse 29, Jesus answers them. He says, you're wrong because you don't know the scriptures nor the power of God. I mean, he starts out, they ask the question. So there's this woman and this man, they get married. The man dies. The brother takes her, goes all the way down seven times, and then they all end up dying. Who gets the woman in the resurrection? And Jesus starts out by saying, you're wrong because you don't know the scriptures of the power of God. 
because he is the authority. He is the truth. He is the way. He is the revelation. And he begins to answer in verse 34. He says, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot die anymore because they, were, they are equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. That statement needs to be opened up. <laughs> That's a tough one. So Jesus starts out by telling them, you're wrong. You don't know the power of God. You don't know the word of God. And now let me answer this question. Let me answer the real question that needs to be answered. He starts out by saying the sons of this age, that we, we are of this age. We are on earth. We live in a broken system. We live in a broken world. We all need the redemption, the grace, the hope, the mercy that only comes through Jesus. In this system, we're given in marriage. I mean, when I do a wedding, every time I do a wedding, you know, bride gets walked down the aisle most of the time by the father, sometimes by someone else, but that they stand before me and I open up and I start out the, the, the ceremony and then I get to a question that I ask, who gives this woman to be married to this man? Then there's a response because there's a giving in marriage. And Jesus said, that's happening now and there's a purpose for that. There's a reason for that. But in, in the resurrection, there is no need for this because they will not be given in marriage they will not be received in marriage. What he's teaching is there will be no marriage in heaven. Some of, the, some of y'all in this room are like, oh, really? Oh, If that's your mentality, we've got some help for you. We, we want your marriage to be thriving and awesome. If that's our mentality, I would, I, would, I would argue enough to say, you don't have a marriage, you've got a contract until death. And you need some life in that relationship. But as for some, like it's a relief. Oh, great, there's no marriage in heaven. I get my own mansion? You know, we fight for a man cave, you know? I get my own mansion? But for some of us, like for me, I struggle with this because I love being married. I mean, I love my wife. I love our relationship. I love the fulfillment that we get. She is, she is not the one who completes me. It is Christ who completes me, but she is a compliment. She is the best compliment for me. And I, I, I wrestle with this. When she travels, I don't sleep. I'm like, how am I gonna sleep in my bed in heaven alone? I don't know. But I love our relationship. And so for some of us, it's like, well, Wait a second, I thought this is supposed to be perfect in heaven. Why, why, don't, why don't I get this relationship? Well, let, let's go back to, to, to the reason marriage was given. I mean, God looked at Adam and he said, it's not good for a man to be alone, so he gives him a helpmate with Eve. He tells them to subdue the earth, be fruitful, multiply, have children, populate the earth. So marriage is a covenant between a husband and a wife to bring children in. And this is where the Sadducees would say, this is, this is there is no resurrection, resurrection from the dead. There is no life after death. It is we live on through our children. There's a legacy. And that's only partly true. I mean, we do have a legacy in our children. It should be a legacy of faith, that our children should see our faith. And there's hope in this life to come. 
But we also look at marriage, and the number one reason marriage was given was this, to glorify God. That our marriage is the tangible representation of the relationship between Jesus and the church. That when the world sees our marriage, those who are submitted to Christ and following him and who profess his grace in our life and his mercy in our life, and we love him, that when, when, a, when an unbelieving, skeptical world looks at our marriages in the church, they should see a reflection of the glory of God. When we step into the presence of God, when Jesus said those who are worthy of the resurrection, what that means is those who are covered by the blood of Christ. None of us are worthy for resurrection. None of us are worthy of salvation. It's not a worth based on what we do or what we bring to the table. It's worth because of what Jesus did on the cross for us, that he bought our worthiness to be called sons of the resurrection. And when we step into the fullness of the glory of God and the presence of God in heaven, that that there is a fulfillment that we've never experienced on this side of eternity because of that fall, because of that sin, because of what separates us from God. When we step into that, the fulfillment of our relationships is complete. Every, Every one of our relationships has dysfunction in it. Every one of our families has dysfunction in it. It just depends on what level of dysfunction you have. Some of you are already dreading Thanksgiving and Christmas because your family has a high level of dysfunction and you don't know how you're going to make it through this. But when we step into heaven, it's the fulfillment of those relationships that the striving that we have ceases. Ultimate peace. And we will not be given in marriage. And so people, people ask, well, will I know my family in heaven? I would hope so. We're going to be smarter in heaven than we are here, I I hope. Otherwise, it will be, you know, I don't believe Christianity is check your brain at the door. When we get to heaven, I don't know anybody. (laughs) Where's your brain? But my relationship with my kids will be in a fulfillment because my kids, my wife, myself, us, won't be seen as you know, I won't, be Heather's, I won't be Heather's husband. Heather won't be Matt's wife. Abby and Laura won't be Matt's daughters. Winona won't be my granddaughter. We will all be the children of God. In the fulfillment of relationship that God created for us, that Jesus paid for us to have. And then he goes on to say, we'll be equal to the angels. Now, let me, let me explain this. It does not mean that when a Christian dies, we become an angel, okay? It's not that when we die, okay, here's your wings, here's your robe, here's your harp, go find a cloud and start learning how to play that thing. That does not appeal to me at all, okay? I'm like, uh, Jesus, is this what you died for? We'll be like the angels in this, that the angels are created beings in the created order when God created everything. Man is created in a higher order than the angels, but we will be equal to the angels in this regard. We will not be given in marriage. We will have no need to marriage and we will have no need to populate anything. And so we will be like the angels in that regard. But we will not become angels. We are the sons and daughters of the Most High King and we are the sons and daughters of the resurrection and we are the children of God. 
and we will spend eternity in that presence. And Jesus has opened it up, man. He's saying, you're, you're wrong. You're missing the whole power of this thing. Everything that the law was given for was a supplement until Jesus stepped on the scene and everything was given so that there could be a fulfillment of the glory of God on this earth, but it's just a reflection. But when the resurrection comes, it's fulfilled and he just, he takes it to them. And then he takes them on into their own scripture. He says, he said, um, uh, but that the dead are raised, so he's going back to answer that question because I know you don't believe in the resurrection of the dead, but that the dead are raised, even Moses, you consider Moses the authority that you look to, the first five books of the Bible, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush where he calls the Lord the God of Jacob, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. Now he is not the God of the dead, but of the living for all live to him. So what Jesus does is he takes them back to Genesis when Moses experiences the burning bush. Moses is tending sheep in the wilderness. He had killed an Egyptian. He's on the run. He's out in the wilderness. He ends up getting married. He's tending, tending sheep with his father-in-law Jethro. And, uh, He comes across this bush that's on fire but not being consumed. Now, you want to get a man's attention, fire does it, right? You want to draw men, fire, okay? It doesn't matter. Light the fire. Campfire. I mean, and men, we stand around. That's a good fire. (laughs) What's the technique of your fire? Do you like the teepee? Do you do the stack? What's your your thing? That's a good fire. It's a real good fire. And it doesn't matter if we're lighting the grill, we're lighting the fireplace, we're lighting the bonfire. We're lighting anything, campfire, anything. We all stand back. Every man does it. After we light that thing, what's going on? I have made fire. I mean, there's just, you know? Like there's something primitive about it, man. I did that. So fire just draws us in, you know? And if we got, then, then it's like, we got to throw something on there, you know? Men's camp out, you know, will this burn, you know? <laughs> How hot can we get the fire and will this burn? Can we melt aluminum? And it's just, just we're, I don't know. I'm just drawn by it. So God gets Moses' attention. He's like, I'm going to light something on fire, you know. So Moses starts approaching the bush. He's like, that's crazy. It's on fire, but it's not burning. The voice of God calls out. He says, don't come any closer, but take off your shoes because you're on holy ground. And God introduces himself to Moses. He said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. To understand the context of that, the grammar of that, When God said, I am the Father, he's saying, I currently am. It's a present thing. I am the God of Abraham. Now, Abraham physically was dead. But God is saying, I am the God of Abraham. I am means I still am. He's not dead. And when when he said, I am, he's still alive. The God of means I know him. Abraham is known by me and he's still with me. And Jesus said, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. I am the God of. He says, I'm gonna take you to your own scriptures because you don't know the power of God or the scripture. And I'm gonna take you and I'm gonna give you a revelation of both. Praise God we have a revelation of both of that. That when we read the word of God, there's power in this. But the Holy Spirit begins to illuminate things and draw us into revelation. And then they answer. Then some of the scribes answered and said, Teacher, you have spoken well, for they no longer dared to ask him any questions. 
find that a sad statement. The truth may shut down a skeptic, but what God wants to do with the truth is lead us into revelation. They had to have had so many more questions. But because they didn't get the answer they wanted, they shut down. How many of us do that? When God doesn't answer the question the way we want it to be answered, we just stop asking him. We just walk away. We just let our faith begin to slowly die. And we wonder what happened to our relationship with God. That I used to be able to open the word of God and I'd read and, and I'd get revelation and God was speaking to me and I was, there, there was clarity in my life. And yeah, I, I didn't have a perfect life. I don't have perfect faith, but I still wrestle with it sometimes. But I'm hearing from God. We're in this connection and, and what happened? Where are we at? Where are we at with this? I read a story years ago about an, an old Texas couple, old Texas cowboy and his wife, and they, it, this was when the pickups had a bench seat, not the whole console that looks like NASA where you got your data center. You can hide, you can pack luggage into the, 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 the console, the touch screens, all this crazy stuff, but it had a bench seat all the way across. You had a pickup truck that had a key and you had a dial and a thing that went like this for the heat, Okay. The power windows was that, okay? And everywhere in town they rode around. She sat in the middle of that seat and he had one arm around her and he had one on the steering wheel and waved to everybody in town. Yes, it's a Texas, get out in the country of Texas. You just get out in the country. It's a country thing. You know, you're driving along like, you know. We don't do it here on 35. Well, we do. We just wave different. <laughs> well, anyway. <laughs> oh. Struck a nerve. <laughs> uh. So they rode around. Eventually, she starts sitting in the passenger seat, and they were riding around in the pickup one day, and she said, Honey, what happened to us? What happens? We used to be so close. I remember when we got in this truck, I would sit right in that middle seat, and you have your arm around me, and we'd roll around. What, what happened? And he looks over, he says, honey, I've never moved. <laughs> How many of us? Because God doesn't give us an answer we want, we slide. And then we slide. And then we get to a crisis of faith or we hit this moment and we go, God, what happened to us? And God says, I've, I've never moved. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. When I was praying for services this morning, I, just, I said, God, would you just draw near to us today? And I felt God correct me. He said, Matt, I, I'm right here. I'm asking you to draw near to me because I'm with you. And he longs to give us revelation. And this beauty of the revelation that we have is about the resurrection. It's about life. It's about hope. I mean, the Sadducees, they should have asked more questions. Jesus, can you give us a sign? Remember the timeline of where Jesus' ministry is? Jesus could have said, I'll see you Sunday afternoon. Because there are days before his crucifixion. And the next Sunday that they would 
see was Resurrection Sunday. I wish Jesus would have said that. I'll see you guys Sunday. We have his resurrection to look at. In John chapter 14, Jesus told the disciples, he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come and receive you unto myself. Jesus is trustworthy. There is something to look forward to after this. And this resurrection that Jesus has, there's a hope in this. That this revelation that God wants to open us is to let us live our lives in the hope of the resurrection. This hope of glory. And the resurrection changes everything. And we, we see it, the reality of Jesus' resurrection because he shows up to his own disciples. I mean, after the, resur- after the crucifixion, the disciples scattered. They're running. They're going all these different directions. They come together, and they're trying to figure out, what do we do? They're worried for their life. I mean, we were, we were in opposition to the Roman government. We made enemies with the, the, the ruling party of Israel. They crucified Jesus. They're going to come after us. We just signed our death warrant, and they're gathered up. They're scared, and all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. Luke chapter, chapter 24 Jesus walks in, he's like, hey, peace be unto you. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that would freak me out. Okay, all the resurrection's real. You know, I need some peace right now, Jesus. But he said, he invites him, touch it, touch the scars. I love Thomas's response to that. Thomas said, unless I see him, unless I touch him, I'm not believing. What does Jesus do? He didn't come in and go, Thomas, man, you, oh, you of little faith, you crazy fool. Can't you just trust me? Can't you just take me in my word, you skeptic? Nah, he says, Thomas, come here. Come here. You got questions? I got answers. You got questions? I got revelation. Come touch right here. Thomas looks at Jesus. He says, my Lord and my God. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. So I want to tell you about the importance of the gospel in chapter 15. He says, the gospel is this, that Christ was crucified, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. After he was raised from the dead, he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, in the 12. He says he appeared to over 500 people at one time. Many are still alive. When Paul wrote that letter in the first century, many of the people who personally, physically witnessed the resurrection of Jesus were still alive given the personal accounts. This hope of the resurrection goes beyond this life. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow, but through Christ we're all guaranteed eternity. And this is the hope that we have. This is what we cling to. If there is no resurrection, Paul said later in 1 Corinthians 15, if there is no resurrection, then we of all people are to be most pitied because our faith is in vain. This preaching that we do is in vain. But praise be to God that Jesus Christ is fully alive and sits at the right hand of the Father and longs to be with us. When he prayed the night before his crucifixion, he said, Father, I want them with me. May we be one just as you and I are one. I get that you have questions. We all do. 
If you've got questions, you're in good company. But God can take the, the questions from a skeptic and open up this incredible revelation that brings us life, hope, grace, peace, love, eternity. So I want to encourage you, if you've got questions, this is a safe place to wrestle with that. Don't walk away with questions. But let me encourage you, let me challenge you with this. When you ask God the, the questions, don't just seek answers because answers get us information about the kingdom. Revelation gets us life in it. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the, your word, the truth of your word. We thank you for the power that comes to you, Holy Spirit the resurrection power, the power to bring revelation, to illuminate this word in our life. I pray that you bring us to a place today to receive from you. Father, we all have questions in this room. Some of us are, are in seasons of, of struggle with our faith. We're coming to you and we're we're going to ask our questions, Jesus. And we ask you to show us from your perspective. Your ways are higher than ours. Your thoughts are higher than ours. As far as the heavens are above us, so are your thoughts above ours. So we're asking you through your grace and your mercy to close that gap by bringing us closer to you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your resurrection. Thank you for that power at work. Thank you for taking on the sacrifice for our sin. And we declare to you, Jesus, that it's you and you alone. There is no other name under heaven that brings us into a reconciled relationship, that brings us into eternity. There's no other name outside of your name, Jesus. So we call upon you we ask for your grace, your mercy. We thank you that it's you who declare us worthy for this hope, this life, this revelation and resurrection. Pray that you give us the strength and courage to live this out, reflecting your glory all the days of our life. We love you. We praise you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Creek Church. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast, or if you have any questions, you can email us at info at